Hey everyone, good morning. Thank you so much for joining the Think Realty Podcast. It's always my pleasure to be your host, Eddie Wilson, the founder of Think Realty. Founded this in 2013 to really bring real estate investors into a place where they can uh, have trusted, uh, valuable information to help them along their, their investing journey. Uh, before I get into our special guest today, as always, we have amazing guests on the Think Realty podcast, and today will be no different. Uh, I want to say a quick thank you to our podcast sponsor. Our podcast sponsor today uh, is a group called Inago. This podcast is brought to you by Inago. Inago is a free, easy-to-use property management software designed for landlords and property managers of all sizes to manage all aspects of their rental business. To sign up or to learn more, please visit Inago.com. That's I-N-N. AGO.com. Our special guest today is a longtime friend. Uh, we've been in mastermind groups together. Uh, I've talked to his investors. Uh, I actually know quite a bit about him and uh, very much trust him, his style, where he invests. Um, and uh, he's also just an all around good guy. Uh, Brandon, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. Eddie, it's great to be on. I appreciate you guys having me. Absolutely. So 2023 was a rough year for a lot of people, but it seems like 2024 is a, a horizon year where most people are kind of like looking into this, this brand new opportunity. Things are coming down the pipe. Um, in your estimation, do you feel like we're in a place, a transitional place in the real estate market? You know, it's been a lot of volatility and we're going into an election year. And, you know, typically in the election years, the guys who are in charge are going to do everything in their power to make sure that they get, you know, reelected. So, again, I don't have a crystal ball, but it does things for us anyway in our market and what I'm hearing with others that things are kind of transitioning. We are kind of looking at this pool that we've been out. And if you look at, you know, just historically, you get these ups and downs in, in any kind of market and, you know, looking at real estate, you know, you don't see it last too terribly long you know we've, we've been in this thing for what you know uh almost two years now probably come time springtime when the fed started rising rates they've already signaled that they're looking at you know potentially doing some uh, some decreases this year and i think a lot of guys are, are pricing that in and so you can kind of feel that for us we've seen a ton of our inventory go under contract since the fed did announce that back mm -hmm. i think it was right around thanksgiving or shortly afterwards and so right now we're feeling things kind of swinging picking up uh, in the direction that we want it to sure yeah awesome I love your take, um, but let's give the audience some a little bit of context before we jump into any further questions. Um, HBG Capital is the company that you founded. And if you don't mind, just for the listener that maybe hasn't heard you in the past on the podcast, just give them a brief overview of what you do, and then we'll jump into some market-specific context. Yeah, so we focus on land development, new construction, entry-level housing, and build-to-rent communities. So we're going after first-time home buyers and building and selling communities to these build-to-rent funds right now. Currently trying to figure out how we can hang on to those communities ourselves with our yeah. investors long-term. Uh, trying to add a fourth exit strategy in there. But everything we do starts with working with the local municipalities to identify the parcels of land that are not the highest and best use. And then similar to a lot of value-add strategies where we force appreciate the asset, we do that through rezoning it to higher density, taking it from one, two, three homes to 100, 200, 300 plus homes. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> as we're kind of looking at 2024 as a horizon year, we're kind of hopefully pushing off a lot of the, the you know, volatility, the difficulty of 2023. Um, and now we're kind of looking into these, these opportunities. 
in this opportunity, there will always be markets that begin to uh, to show themselves faster than others. Um, if I'm a real estate investor and I'm looking at us from a more national landscape, what markets should I be looking at for those that will all of a sudden start to show themselves quickly for the for the great opportunities that are coming up, I believe, in 2024? Yeah, so we're big fans of following the money, mm -hmm. right? If you've got areas where money is flowing into that, no matter what the economy throws at you, you're going to get some resistance against anything in the market, right? So where's the money flowing and how do you know it's flowing? So there's four big things that push money into a specific market. You got institutions, you got large corporations, you got small businesses, and you got consumers. So aside from just going out and doing a lot of research, you know, how do you know that you've got these big institutions that are, that are moving capital into specific markets? COVID sort of revealed this environment that we knew was there, but it made it very evident. You've got business-friendly states and you've got non-business-friendly states. And so you've seen this great migration from uh, highly regulated government states that shut everything down, shut down small businesses, shut down big businesses uh, to you know states that, hey, you know we kept everything open. So looking exactly where the institution is going, what does the skyline look like for those markets? Can you go downtown and actually start counting the cranes, mm -hmm. right? You know, were they business friendly when, uh, you know, COVID went around? You know, how many hotels are slated for that area? You can tell a lot by an area's tourism and how much is going on in the institutional space by, you know, what the pricing is for hotel rooms, sure. right? That's a great indicator of how much institutional money is moving in there. As far as large corporations, you know, this is as easy as getting a local business journal, you know, the, usually there's a like a Nashville business journal or a Dallas business journal. You can see what those big corporations moving in are. And then, you know, as far as consumers, you know, what are home prices doing? What's been the growth for, for home prices? A great indicator of what's going on in a city with the amount of consumers moving in there. What's happening with the airport of that spot? Is it being renovated? Are they adding additions? And then ultimately, people are always going to gravitate to areas where, you know, there's there's affordability, especially when you have these, you know, higher interest rate environments. People are always going to need a place to live and money it follows people. So finding those areas. So what does this look like? Um, there's a ton of cities out there that are a great fit. I'll, I'll use mine. So we've used Nashville, for example, because it's it's got a lot of really good stuff. So there was over $7.5 billion of institutional investment in Nashville from 2010 to 2020, quite a bit. But if you look at what's happened since COVID, there's currently, right now, six, over $6 billion under constructed. So we literally have the same amount of construction currently under construction from institutional mm -hmm. capital that we had in almost a 10-year period from 2010 to 2020. And a lot of that, again, is because of COVID, right? Institutions wanting to move their money into markets that are a little bit less risky when it comes to governance. We've had uh, this this really cool. I encourage anyone to go and like Google the Nashville skyline before and after. And if you do that, you'll see some images from 2011 and 2018, and it'll show just how much the skyline has improved. Again, a really good indicator that you've got some institutional capital that's that's moving into that market. Uh, you know, you can go and you can watch the cranes. There is about 14 and a half million tourists that visit Nashville per year, mm -hmm. and you know. Unsimilar to markets, you know, like Miami, where it can be kind of seasonal, it's year-round tourism. So you've got that constant influx of money that's moving in and getting pumped into that system from outside dollars. 
you know, if you just do a look, you can go downtown and just see the signs on buildings or, you know, read your Nashville local business journal. Amazon just finished building a C-suite building that's going to house over 5,000 execs here in this market. You know, Oracle calls it home, Alliance Bernstein, Nissan, uh, Facebook building an $800 million data center in Gallatin, a uh, suburb just outside Nashville, Tennessee. And then Kaiser and Iron Galaxy are some of the tech companies that are coming and setting up here. So you can see there's a lot of large corporations that are moving here. One of the big reasons is because the local municipalities here in Nashville, they've incentivized big businesses to move here uh, to give them local tax cuts. So they've done a good job of incentivizing these big corporations to bring jobs here. When you bring jobs to an area, you bring people. And what do people bring? People bring the money. Mm -hmm. So those are a couple of things that I look at in our market and other people can look at in other markets. As far as the consumer you know, Nashville just finished a $1.4 billion expansion plan. We've had over 33% population growth since 2010. That means money is moving in. We've had over 343,000 new residents that accounts for that 33% population growth. And we've had about an 80, you know, everywhere's had, you know, home price increases, right? It's been kind of crazy the past seven, eight years, but we've had over 85% increase in our home prices. So, you know, with the average American paying, you know, somewhere between twenty three hundred and twenty eight hundred bucks for their mortgage, that puts them in a place where they need to be under four hundred thousand for their mortgage mm -hmm. for their home. And there's just so many homes in and around the suburb area. I won't say the downtown core of Nashville, but the suburb area that offers that kind of affordability. And so, so those yeah. are some of the things that kind of give it teeth on like what to look for when you're deciding what city you want to go and place capital in. Sure. No, I love it. I love your four. Um, I think all those are incredible. And if someone's listening or watching, you know, so important to make note of those. And if you're not hitting at least three of those boxes in a very, very big way, you should be very careful to invest in that market because when the market turns, like you're talking about, Brandon, interest rates potentially dropping, you know, the, the, the market, you know, these markets where interest rates are going to drop are, are going to drop nationally. But it's like you'll see it most in these areas where these four, you know, kind of concerns are. I love that. Um, I, I it's fascinating to me that Nashville still has such a low uh, median housing cost. Right. Like if you take the suburbs of Nashville, not downtown Nashville, but the suburbs of Nashville, it's actually still within the ranges of affordability. Um, so you got Tennessee, that's an amazing business state, right? Nashville, that's a very aggressive business town, um, and you still have median housing income or median housing prices that can stay underneath of like what you were talking about, which is the average rent rate right now in America, which is twenty three hundred dollars, right? So that's a that's a really really uh, great uh, statistic for Nashville. Are you doing a lot of build to rent there in Nashville? We're currently developing and selling a lot of okay. build to rent stuff. I'm trying, I want to be the fun though, right? We are yeah. trying to figure out this fourth exit strategy in our, you know, our land acquisitions and development plan where, you know, worst case scenario, if it, you know, the first three exits don't work where mm -hmm. we, you know, either entitled and flip the land or develop and sell the finished as to a builder or end up building it out and selling it ourselves where we can actually hang on to it. Yeah. And it's, it's wild. There was a, a 36 townhome development that we just did that got sold to Avenue One. Mm -hmm. And I was, I'll be honest with you, it was like 40 minutes from downtown. I did not think that build the rent funds were buying that far out, but mm -hmm. the strategies changed. I'm seeing a lot of guys where they're not using debt anymore. 
They're just sure. buying it cash for the right. cap rate, and that's right. working. And you know, if you can get, especially around that three hundred thousand dollar price point, man, they're scooping things up. Yeah, it, it it speaks to the fundamental need we have right now in America, and that is, um, we actually have um, people making more from their jobs than they've ever made before. Um, and the issue isn't necessarily that they can't afford that monthly payment. The issue is, is that they're all in debt and they can't find the down payment, right? Like, and, and that's the issue with affordability. It's not that they can't afford the mortgage itself. They can't afford the down payment. This last, you're talking about, you know, kind of the consumer problem right now. And the consumer problem, we, we had a really robust Christmas season. But the problem is, is we increased our debt. Uh, almost three times, right? So people did spend as consumers on Christmas, but they just put it on credit cards, which takes them even further away from the American dream if it still is buying a home. I think it's why you've got massive companies like Lennar and DR Horton that are going so deep in creating divisions just for build to rent, because that's what's going to happen is it's like a, a high earning W-2 uh, you know, uh, income earner, right? is going to feel and expect that they get to have the highest level of, of, uh, of housing, right? And that's going to be a new home, but they're not gonna have enough for a down payment to actually go purchase it. So what they'll do is they'll walk right into these build to rent scenarios with new housing. Um, they'll, be, they'll be able to take their you know, high W-2 earning income job, translate that into a new residence, but the thing is, it's going to look very, very different than it used to, right? Like we're going to move drastically in in the next four to five years into what Europe already has done over the past 20, which is large corporate structures are owning lots of the residential properties, right? Um, and I think you're poised to be right in the middle of that. Obviously, it's like you're talking about trying to keep all of those. It's hard to keep them when the REITs are sitting there so hungry for capital to move. You know, you got $2.1 trillion in liquidity sitting on the sideline in private equity funds right now. And that $2.1 trillion is ready to gobble up anything that'll give it yield. Those REITs are watching for stabilized assets. And these, BT, these BTR, you know, communities are providing the quickest level of stabilization. So I'm 100% in lockstep with you on your philosophy. Uh, with you know going towards build to rent, um, what are some of the plans you have for build to rent coming up? I mean, so you've got you said you just fit, finished a community, uh, sound like some townhomes. Do you have anything else on the horizon that you look to bring to market soon? You know, nothing that's hitting the market soon. We planted a lot of seeds that are kind of coming to fruition. You know, we're right now we've seen a huge opportunity in these builders who are wanting to just gobble up these pads. And again, it's it's for build to rent, like right. Your point. I just hopped on a call with uh, Dr. Horton, you know, with a piece of land that we're looking at right now, and they want it, right? Mm -hmm. And so we're we're seeing where the opportunity is. And so for us, we've probably got six, seven hundred units that are currently in the pipeline, either being rezoned or, or entitled or are being developed to sell to a builder right now. And so for us, you know, we're just listening to the market and doing what it says. And so we're actually exiting early mm -hmm. in some of our first or second phase exits, just selling the land that's slated for these entry level communities sure. to these builders uh, or these developers that, you know, work for these build to rent funds that are that are kind of gobbling it up. Yeah. Uh, the stuff that we kind of built already and was on market, you know, we, we sold some of that stuff to these BTR funds. We weren't getting the absorption we wanted from uh, the consumers that we liked. And so we, we ended up selling off some of those communities, but it worked fantastic. Yeah. So, you know, currently we've 
we're uh, you know we're I think we're about to start about seventy five uh, lots that you know again we've got slated and contracted to sell to a builder. Um, we're, we just finished up 204 homes up in Clarksville, Tennessee, that we're shopping around to some build to rent funds right now. So we've we've seen a ton of opportunity in this particular space. Uh, it might not just be building it all the way out and selling it, but selling it to the you know the the big guys that kind of have those those BTR buyers or selling direct to the BTR buyers that want to acquire sure. it. Yeah, that's great. Um, two last questions. We always run short on this podcast and always run out of, of time fast, but. Um, one real quick one. How does a real estate investor avoid risk today, right? Like they're jumping into the market. Uh, maybe they're a brand new investor or maybe the stock market hasn't gone well for them for the past 10 years. And they're like, you know, forget this. I'm, I'm going to move towards maybe a physical asset. Well, what, what, what advice would you give on mitigating risk? Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's a big one, right? There's a lot of people getting burned right now in the commercial world, in the multifamily world. There's like $2 trillion worth of debt that, you know, can't be refinanced, right? The buildings won't change, but the owners do. So I think that this was kind of like a little gentle reminder uh, that, hey, you know, things can change pretty quickly. You know, for, for us, we're looking at one, multiple exit strategies, two, being able to control the debt. Three, the ability to hold that asset if needed. Four, forced asset appreciation. Uh, five, if you've got an in-buyer lined up that you can contract and do that deal with so your exit's lined up, that's really good. And then we're looking at downside protection. So those are six core things that we're looking at and kind of to give you an idea, here, here's what that looks like to kind of give it some teeth so people listening can know. So on the land deals that we're doing, Everything we do starts with working with the local municipalities to identify the parcels of land that are not the highest and best use, and then force appreciate the value through that rezoning process, taking them from one, two, three homes to you know, 100, 150 homes. It starts with aligning ourselves with the city's vision, working with them, not against them. And what that allows us to do is when you get in at the very beginning, you build your downside protection by taking a piece of land that maybe it's worth you know half a million a million and making it worth two or three million that's where you build in your downside protection so you're walking into a bunch of equity as soon as you get that entitlement done and you can close on it and get all the approvals in place from there we can either just go out and sell that land as is sell the paper or we can syndicate contract with a builder sell the finished pads of that builder or we can take it all the way through ourselves and so if we underwrite everything to a build to sell model or a build to rent model and you know we don't get taken out at one of those first phases then we've got multiple exit strategies built in so that was number one number two is being able to control the debt on all of these developments that we do up until the vertical portion it's 100 equity with investors so there's no bank that can call our development loan due so we're only dealing with investors it's just us and then if we get to that point where we do want to go and get some debt from the bank to build then sell the houses then we can do that. Again, really good to have a build to rent fund that has already contracted with you to buy the whole thing so that you don't have as much market risk with the consumer. You know, three is that ability to hold that we kind of just named. And then again, force appreciating the value of the asset, whether it's, you know, multifamily, renovating the units, you know, bringing the rents up, you need to be able to have some control over the asset price, even no matter what interest rates do, right? You know, despite interest rates. And then, 
you know, we talked about the in-buyer lineup and downside protection. Those, those are six things that we're looking at, and that's kind of an example of how we're using those models in our current deals today. Sure. That's awesome. Great answer. Um, last question, and that is, how do they get in touch with you? Are you looking for investment dollars today? Are you looking for capital? Uh, if somebody's in that area and they're willing to source properties for you, how do they get in touch with you? And what is it that you're looking for from, the, uh, from, from our listener or viewer today? Yeah. So, you know, if you're somebody who's interested in building a legacy, making an impact and, uh, you know, creating passive income from real estate, you know, we're always working on working on opportunities. You can go to our website, hbgcapital.net. That's pronounced Harry Bob Gary Capital.net. I joked that the com was stolen, so we're stuck with the .net. Uh, but you can go to our website. We've got a free ebook on our website, 100 Questions Business Owners Ask Before Investing. And uh, I wrote that book because I got a call one day from uh, an investor of ours who asked if I would meet with somebody. And I said, sure, what's going on? He said he had a buddy who had lost all of his capital uh, in a deal and asked if I'd kind of help him steer him in the right direction. And I said, sure. And uh, so I took the call and it was very evident early on that this guy did not know a whole lot about what he was doing. He's very green. He didn't know what questions to ask. And as a result of that, he had this huge capital loss. I left that phone call asking myself, there's just one thing I could do to prevent this from happening. And you know, what would it be? And so I put that book together. I'm confident had that guy had the right questions to ask before investing that he wouldn't have lost his entire investment. So um, it's free along with a bunch of other resources on our website. You can grab them hbgcapital.net. Awesome. Brandon, thanks so much for being a part of the podcast today. Always good to see you. And uh, if you're out there and you're looking for maybe some passive streams of income in a great market, uh, Brandon would definitely be someone that you'd want to look up and uh, reach out to. Thanks so much today uh, for being on the show, Brandon. Thanks, Eddie. Yeah, appreciate it. I want to say a quick thank you to our podcast sponsor again, which was Inago. But then also, I want to uh, just remind you of something coming up. The Think Realty Conference and Expo is coming to Phoenix, Arizona on March 28th and 29th in 2024. Uh, this is uh, going to be the first time that we're out west in probably two to three years right now. Um, and some of the biggest names in real estate investing are going to be there. They're going to be talking about it. I like to say that our conference and expo is similar to like a boat show. You're going to see every type. You're going to see everything that's out there. Uh, if you want to know something about multifamily, there's multifamily. Single family, there's single family. You want to learn how to, uh, to manage your properties. You want to source capital, find capital, whatever it is. It's all there. You can come check it out. Peruse the vendor hall, talk to everybody. You'll have a great time. Uh, and as always, as a thank you for being a part of the podcast, uh, we've got a buy one, get one free special for you on tickets. If you go to thinkreality.com uh, forward slash events, you'll see the events there. Click on the Phoenix button, use the code podcast, all capital letters podcast, and we'll give you a buy one, get one free uh, for being a part of the podcast. Thanks so much for today for, for being a part. Uh, I want to thank Brandon again for being a part. Uh, always good to have great people who have their ear to the tracks, listening and understanding what's going on in the marketplace. Brandon does that. And uh, we try to do the same here at Think Realty, providing you a great uh, source for content and information uh, and always trying to provide connections and networking for you as well. If you haven't picked up our latest magazine, go to the, to the local Barnes & Noble or go to thinkreally.com and pick up the magazine. Get it to come to your doorstep. Great information every month. And as always, stay tuned to the podcast. We'll see you next time.